Well, today we're uh, starting a new sermon series. We won't get through it before Advent comes along, but I thought it would be good to do because it kind of links into what we're doing in our Bible study on Thursday uh, evenings in the book of Acts, especially where we're at in the book of Acts right now, which is we're going to start chapter 9, which really begins to focus on the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to be looking at uh, his letter to the Galatians. And just to know where Galatia was, it's not a city, but it was a region. It's a region that was in the central part of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Uh, there are several churches that are mentioned in the Bible that were within this region, and you can see them kind of listed here. There's uh, Lystria, Antioch, Iconium, Derbe, and these are all listed. Tarsus isn't really in the region, but it's on the map there. And there's, there's uh, two Antiochs. There's Antioch down in Syria, and then there's Antioch in uh, Sida, which is up there uh, more to the north. So this was a circular letter. It was meant to be uh, shared among many churches within that region. It wasn't just to a church in a specific city like the letter to the Corinthians was or the letter to the Romans were. And in it, it's a very autobiographical record uh, letter. Paul reveals a lot about himself in this letter. And he does it in other letters too, but in this letter in particular, because of what he's dealing with in the churches of Galatia, he, he reveals a lot of his own personal passion about Christ. And we see in it, you know, why he is the person that he is. He, he exposes not just his theology or his, you know, religious philosophy, but he exposes really his soul, who he is as a person. And, uh, and so I found personally in studying for this uh, uh, sermon and studying this letter, been preparing for this, and also by going to the book of Acts, it's really helped me understand this very complicated man who is the Apostle Paul a bit better. So most of us, most of us have someone that we would like to be like. You know, especially when we grow up as kids, you know, uh, we have a tendency to kind of dress up and, and want to imitate people that we admire. For example, I had a friend of mine whose, uh, whose son, when he was about five years old, constantly wore a spider-man outfit all the time and he would not take it off even there was a phase i mean he eventually grew out of this he didn't show up in his wedding in a spider-man outfit but he wore it and like the only time he would take it off is when the mom insisted it had to be washed because it was just it was dirty and it smelled and he would sit by the wash machine the whole time it was being washed and dried because he was not going to leave the laundry room without his Spider-Man outfit, because he was just into that. And uh, I found it kind of funny, you know, that, that we even talked about, it, like, what's he going to do in high school? Is he just going to wear it underneath? And uh, we thought, well, yeah, he's like Peter Parker, actually. He'll wear it underneath his clothes. He grew out of it. But uh, I don't know about you, but even at my age, I sometimes kind of, you know, I have a pretty active imagination. I'll often imagine myself as someone other than who I am. And I think most of us, when we imagine ourselves as someone other than who we are, it's always something greater. Very rarely do we imagine ourselves as something lesser, you know, but it's always something greater, at least in our estimation as to what is greater. But I've also found out over the years that people who are truly extraordinary in whatever it is that defines them as great, I mean, you have good, you have really good, but then you have the very few who are great at something, either great athletes or great musicians, they just kind of transcend. They have poured their life into this. 
Very few people just kind of ho-dee-do their way into being great. You have to have an enormous amount of talent, but an enormous amount of, willing, of, of dedication to developing that talent. I think a lot of us are talented in some way or another. But the, the reason why, for me, why I'm not great, like transcendently great at anything, is I don't have the discipline to put my entire life focus into this one thing. You know, I don't have the discipline to put my entire life focus into music. I never, I wanted to be a great athlete, but I didn't want to put in the work. You know, I didn't want my, my life to be just about that. And the truly greats, they do that. You know, they, they focus, they have, they have talent, but then they take that and they have this hyper focus into that in order to become great. And when I think about the Apostle Paul, and I, and I read his letters and read the book of Acts, it talks about his life. I think that he, in ways that I cannot even really begin to approach, I can kind of look at from, the, from across this chasm, he wanted to be like Jesus Christ. And when I say that he wanted to be like Christ, he really, really wanted everything in his life to be the model based on Christ. He not just wanted his faith to be built on Christ. He wanted how he lived to be modeled on Christ. Christ was this kind of itinerant, you know, preacher, teacher. And he says the son of man has no place to lay his head. That's how the apostle Paul lives his life. He has no really place to lay his head. He goes from, from place to place. Jesus comes into, he understands Jesus, the word of God made flesh coming into this wicked world. Paul then goes from the place of his life out of wickedness of being a Pharisee into pouring himself into the Gentiles. He very much, not just in his head, but in the way he lives, wants to be like Jesus. Even in the place where he can say he wants to even suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered. Look what he says about suffering. I think sometimes we read the Apostle Paul and we immediately kind of go into the philosophical about it. But I don't think he means this philosophically. He means this literally when he says things like this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He doesn't mean this just kind of like how we sometimes will, will, will say it. Like the song we sang, which I appreciate the songs. I think worship is interesting. We, we sing huge promises to God, right? I'm going to follow you no matter what. Through tears, through happiness, through deprivation, through suffering. Jesus, I believe in you. We sang it. But I know when I look at my life, mm, I don't look forward to suffering. If I have to suffer for the sake of Christ, it's going to be because I have to. Not because I'm going to be looking for it. I'm not going to be looking to suffer. Like in my life, I'd like to be challenged just enough to grow, but not so much to hurt. And that's, kind of, that's an admission now, I know that's not a great place to be, but I think a lot of us can identify that. We want to be challenged in our faith enough to grow. But how many of you want to go to prison? How many of you are looking forward to going to prison, being beaten? How many of you want to be tortured for Jesus, hung from the ceiling, your arms behind your back, hung up from the ceiling? How many of you, oh, Lord, yes, please make this happen for me. Any hands? No. 
But this is where I think Paul is different. Paul looked for suffering. Because in that suffering, he found himself most like Christ. He sees it as a sacrament. And, and, and look, we'll just look at some passages here. He says this in Galatians. This is how he, he begins Galatians. And we're going to see this mindset. We're going to jump around some other scriptures too. But as we go through this, book of, uh, this letter to the Galatians, we're going to learn a lot about the Apostle Paul. And it can inspire us. It can challenge us. But I think at the same time, we have to, it can also help us to appreciate him, understand him. The better we understand him, the better we're going to understand what he wrote and why he wrote it which will help us understand the Bible better. Because Paul writes about two-thirds of the, New, of the New Testament. So let's start out. He starts out this letter to the Galatians by saying this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man or by man, by men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right away in this letter, the Apostle Paul gets into the issues that he's having with the Galatians, and not just with the church in Galatia, but with other churches that he founded, that he was the church planter for. And you'll often hear him defend his apostleship in this way. And he defends his apostleship in many of his letters. Why does he have to defend the fact that he's an apostle? Well, if you've been with us, some of you have been with us uh, on the Thursday Bible study, so you'll hear some of these things twice. But one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul constantly was defending his apostleship is because he did not meet the definition of an apostle by the early church. The early church had a definition of apostle. If you read in the book of Acts, chapter 1, the, Peter, they decide they need to replace Judas. And this is the only time they do this. And they do it before the Holy Spirit has come. So I don't think that really Peter's, my opinion on this, that his action is really necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit. I think he's just trying to figure out what we should do because you never see them try to replace an apostle again. But look at what they said a person has to be in order to be an apostle. This is Peter talking to the early church. He says to them, therefore, he says, we need to replace Judas. And then he says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time that Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. When you go through the book of Acts, you find that the, the apostles, their first calling, and Jesus tells us this, but I think, again, it kind of washes over us a little bit. Their first message was to be a message of witness. They would say, we saw this. We saw, and this witness to his resurrection. We saw him crucified, and we saw him resurrected. We saw this. They didn't have all the theology figured out around it. But they knew what they saw. And they said an apostle has to be someone who was with the other apostles from the beginning of Jesus' ministry and his baptism all the way through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Paul doesn't qualify for this. Paul does not meet this qualification. And so I think later on, Peter, for example, he accepts that the apostle Paul is indeed an apostle. We read it in the letters of Peter. He accepts it. But I think this definition stuck in the early church. There are some people, they hung on to this definition. 
And so the Apostle Paul is constantly having to defend the fact that he is indeed an apostle. And so this becomes important because the way he does this is sometimes he can seem almost defiant and self-righteous. Uh, he'll say things like, I've worked harder than the, any, more than the rest of these guys. I've suffered more. I've done more. I have taken the gospel in places. These guys never took it. And you can look at that as being self-righteous. But I think as we come to understand really how he views himself and Christ, maybe our attitude will change a little bit. So in verse 2 of Galatians, he tells us that he's with some people. So he greets them. And it says that there's brothers with him. And then we, this is who it's to. It's to the church in Galatia. And then he just immediately gets into who, what this letter is going to be about. And he starts by a description of Jesus Christ. And he says this. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, it's easy to read this just kind of like this is just a kind of a standard greeting, you know, just kind of a polite beginning before getting into the heart of the matter. But there's more to that in this. And as I was studying for this, I noticed that in Galatians, uh, in chapter 1, when you jump to verses 15 and 16, you see that the Apostle Paul, the way he describes Jesus here is he describes himself almost as a mirror image. And he doesn't do this arrogantly. And I, didn't even, I don't even know if he does this consciously. But look to how he describes himself in Galatians when you go to verses 15 and 16. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. So how do these two kind of parallel or mirror each other? Well, one, you have... The people involved, you have Jesus and then you have Paul. They both see themselves, he, Paul sees that both of them are acting under a sense of divine destiny. Look what he says of himself. He says, Jesus is doing this according to the will of our God and Father. He is acting under the divine destiny and will of God the Father. And also it's important to him that he gave himself for our sins. He doesn't see Jesus as a victim. Jesus willingly enters into the cross. He enters into it knowing that this is his purpose. This is his destiny in order to save us from darkness. Paul says this about himself. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, he sees himself as functioning within the destiny that God had planned for him. He had been set apart from birth and called by grace. Okay, so this is kind of, this is the beginning of these parallels. And then you have that Jesus, what, what was he to do? Well, Jesus left the glory of, of, of heaven. The word becomes flesh. He gives himself in order to rescue us from this present evil age. So Jesus comes. He gives of himself to sacrifice for the sake of all in order to rescue us from this present evil age. He enters into our brokenness. He enters into the darkness of human history in order to rescue. And Paul, after instead of giving of himself like Jesus gives, he receives the son. He's on the receiving end of Christ. And then he also goes into a place of darkness. He goes to talk to the very people that as a Pharisee, he grew up hating. 
or at least believing that they were not anyone that we should be concerned about their salvation, almost like the way we might not be concerned about the salvation of dogs. As a Pharisee, he did not care about the salvation of the, Jew, of the Gentiles, didn't even really believe it was possible. And then he enters into that. So he sees this parallel going on. And then he very much sees that, that his marching orders, they come directly from God. Jesus comes directly from God. Jesus doesn't have a rabbi. You know, one of the reasons why people would often say to Jesus, by what authority do you do this? They're not asking him to, to have kind of a spiritual answer. When, whenever Jesus is confronted by what authority are you teaching, they want to know what rabbi do you follow? What rabbi are you following? What person that we recognize as an authority are you following? And Jesus' answer very often was, there is no rabbi he's following. Paul sees himself in a very similar way. When he received this revelation, he did not consult any man. And we'll get into this later. This aspect of Paul's understanding of himself is crucial. He did not learn it from the disciples. He was not taught it by any particular disciple. He did not consult anyone. It came to him directly from revelation from Jesus Christ. And this for him is powerful. Now we can say to a certain extent, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit is what enlightens us and all that. But we've learned from other people, right? I learned, I can tell you like the top five most important spiritual teachers in my life. You could probably do the same. Even though we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses people. We've, most of us have learned about Christianity. Paul makes it very clear, and we'll get into it. His revelation does not come from man. It comes directly from Jesus Christ, which is one reason why he feels like he has every right to call himself an apostle. And I think when you, you, you read this, you begin to understand that Paul very much sees and wants his life to mirror the life of Christ. That is what he wants. He wants his life to mirror Christ in every way. Now, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I can't make any like a, you know, big academic psychological statement. But I think that it's quite clear that he literally wants to think like Christ. He talks about having the mind of Christ. He wants to have the emotions of Christ. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit. He wants to preach the same word that Christ preached of salvation and hope. And he wants to live like Christ, even if that means joining in his sufferings. And in fact, he finds the joining in the suffering of Christ a crucial part of who he is and how his life is a mirror of Christ. He speaks of suffering almost like a sacrament. We already looked at the Philippians passage where he talks about it, but it's all over the Bible, all over his writings. These are just a few examples. He talks about here, he says, not only so, but I, we also rejoice in our sufferings. There's nowhere you ever see Paul going, we're being picked on. God doesn't like us. No, never. He will list all his sufferings, but he does it to say, yeah, this is how my life is reflecting Christ. Praise the Lord. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And uh, also in Romans here at 817, says, now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Again, we're very closely related. If we, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. So suffering for him is not a problem. In fact, it is to be embraced. 
And then he, this is a good part where he's talking about the other apostles and he's comparing himself to the other apostles. And this is where you kind of see, uh, you can see he's got a little fire in, fire in his belly here. He's like, he speaks to the other apostles. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he goes, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. And then he doesn't say, and woe is me. But then he says, and praise the Lord for it. Because it makes him closer to Christ. And later on in Galatians, when Paul speaks of salvation, he literally identifies himself with the crucifixion of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, he, doesn't, he, he wasn't physically crucified in that way, but he wants to. I think if you ask Paul, how do you want to die? He'd probably say, I want to be, die like Jesus. He probably envied Peter, who was crucified upside down. You know, because he, he, this is his identity. This is how he, and so even salvation, he identifies so closely with suffering. And in baptism, he even talks about it in sort of this death way. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life if we have been united with him like this in his death we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Paul wanted in every way, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, he wanted to live like Christ. And so he saw how Jesus lived, and he patterns his life after that. So can the same be said of us? Can the same be said of you? Well, let me answer the question for you. No. No. And I'm, that might insult some of you, but none of you live at the same level of devotion as the Apostle Paul. None of you. And there's a saying that says when you point one finger out, three fingers point back. And I totally embrace that. If we wanted to live like the Apostle Paul, we would live like the Apostle Paul. Right? We would be doing it. If we wanted to live at this level of devotion, we would be doing it. And we wouldn't be sitting in a nice, comfortable, warm room in our clothes and with all the comfort around us. We would be in the darkest of darkest places in the world, preaching the gospel of Christ, regardless if we were put into prison, regardless if we were being beaten, regardless if our life was taken from us. That's where we would be because that's what Paul did. But I don't think we need to get too guilt-ridden about this, and we'll talk about it. But honestly, if we were living like Paul, we would be in the places that he, was, he went to where he was beaten savagely. I mean, he talks about how badly he was beaten over his life, imprisoned unjustly, hated by his former Jewish friends, and even disliked by the churches he planted. And he praised the Lord for every moment of it. This is an intense dude. 
This is a guy who's living in a way that's a little bit different than we are. And there are very few people in history that have the same kind of devotion that Paul had. In fact, sometimes he seems to be happiest when things are the most miserable. You know, where we would say, this is awful. He's like, yay! Because he feels that that identifies him more closely with Christ. And so with this in mind, I think we can begin to read through the first chapter and understand why he responds to the way that he responds to the Galatians, why he says some of the things that he says. And, uh, and so let's read it now with this appreciation of this is a guy who is sold out, truly sold out. And he doesn't just wear the t-shirt. He lives it. And so after greeting uh, the people of Galatia, in the letter where he talks very much kind of who Jesus was, what he did for us, he goes right into his issues with them. And he says this, I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul so deeply connects to the idea that he was a person under the law of Moses. And under that law, there was no hope of salvation because he knew he could not keep that law. And no matter what other people might say, well, you know, I hope it's good enough for God. Paul knew it wasn't. And he says in, in the book of Romans that the law killed him. Now, he's not saying the law is bad, but he says it exposed my sin in such a way that I could not deny that I was deeply in sin. It exposed him. And then he met Jesus. And this angry, fearful Pharisee, who I think was persecuting the church in large part because he hoped that by doing that, he could please God by crushing this heresy called the way. It was called the way at the time before it was called Christianity. By crushing these followers of Jesus Christ, he could somehow appease the anger of God. And he eventually, and, he, and Christ meets him. Christ meets him on the road to Damascus. And in that moment, he realizes that he is no longer under a law, but under grace. And so when the Galatians, to whom he gave them the hope that you are by grace, you are saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. When they then seem to willingly go back to the place of law, he is astonished. He's like, how is this possible? He comes from this area of such deep devotion to Christ. He just, he just can't get his head around it. In fact, he'll, later on, he calls them, you stupid Galatians. Who has bewitched you? He's passionate here. And then he goes on to say, and then he calls upon heaven and earth. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So he's so wrapped up in this. He believes this so passionately that he basically says, listen, if an angel comes from heaven 
and preaches a gospel that is different than the one of salvation by grace through Jesus Christ, and that angel should go straight to hell. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really think too often about how angels regard my life, but I don't call upon the angels and like put them out like that. This is, this is like, you're kind of, whoa, Paul, you need to kind of take a step back here. But he's like, nope. Let them go to hell. Be it angel or be it man. If they preach to you a gospel other than Christ. Salvation by grace through faith. And then he goes into man. He says, you know, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? He says, if I was still trying to please men, then I would not be a servant of Christ. And actually the word he uses is slave. We don't like that word. But he calls it slave. Because I think he likes the term slave. He wants to say, I am completely under the direction of Christ. He says, go right, I go right. He says, jump, I say, how high? He says, go left, I go left. He says, go to this place, I go. He says, don't go there, then I don't go. And this is, if you read the book of Acts, this is how he did things. You know, he, 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 was, he was prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to certain places. He says, he's called by the Holy Spirit to go to other places. This is how he lives his life. And basically, his saying is, if I don't fear the angels, if they preach a false message, then what do I care about men? If they come preaching a false Christ, I don't care. I'm not going to listen to them because I know who I am and I know who Christ is. And one of the things going on in the early church, we see a lot in his letters and we see it in some other letters. You had people in the early church who were Jews, who became Christians, and they struggled with the idea that a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, could become a Christian without first getting circumcised and becoming Jewish because they thought that's what you need to do. And Paul's like, no, that is not the way it is. And if you think it's that way, then may you take you and your message and go straight to hell. He's hardcore, man. And I think this is why the, also the Apostle Paul was never married. He doesn't have the emotional energy to go anywhere else except into Christ. I think everything he relates through is through Christ. All the people he cares about is through Christ. I don't think he has. He doesn't want to be divided in his mind. That's why in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you should read that, understanding who Paul is when he says a person who remains unmarried can just stay focused on his, his work with God. He doesn't have to divide his devotion. That's what he wants. He sees that in Jesus. In spite of what the Da Vinci Code says, Jesus wasn't married. Jesus comes, he stays devoted to his mission, and then he's crucified, raises from the resurrected, ascends to heaven. The Apostle Paul, in modeling his life, is the same way. I'm, he's not going to get married. He doesn't want to be. And this is a place where I'm different, you know, and I'm okay with this. I want to have the experience of sharing my life with another person. I want to, to go through what it means to like try and the two becoming one. I want that. You know, I've enjoyed being married. Uh, I hope she has too. But, uh, you know, it doesn't mean it's all been perfect. I think sometimes people think that we somehow, you know, when we wake up, we wake up to the birds singing and like the you know, hearts floating above the bed. No, 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 we fight sometimes. You know, sometimes she just doesn't realize I'm right and I have, we have to have a fight. But Paul, Paul doesn't even want to begin to have to invest himself emotionally in anyone else other than Christ. This is who he is. 
And then we come to the part that really defines him. This is where there'd be kind of a mic drop. And if we had that, that thing, the bass would go boom. It'd be in the end of this part here. Because he says this. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Mic drop. Boom. There you go. That's him. That's, that is who he understands himself to be. He didn't receive it. He didn't learn it. He got it directly from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ poured into the mind, the heart, the soul of the Apostle Paul, the truth. The truth which set him free from his anger, from his hatred, from his sense of purpose in life, which was to destroy the church. And then, and actually blinds him. And then upon receiving his sight again, he is a different man. And in this different man, he is transformed. And when you read uh, more in Galatians, in Galatians and you see it in Acts chapter 9, he spends some time just in Damascus. And Paul says he actually goes into Arabia and then he comes back to Damascus. We don't know what he was doing there, but I think he was kind of reforming. He's like... Like a, like a butterfly in the pupa. He's kind of just kind of torn apart by God, goes away, reforms, comes back, and he's the Apostle Paul that we come to know. And because he received this by revelation from Jesus Christ, and he's very clear here, I didn't receive it from a man, I was not taught, he believes he has every right as a witness to the resurrected Christ to be called an apostle. And so he does. He calls himself an apostle. I witnessed the resurrected Christ. I didn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling with the Holy Spirit. I didn't have a place where I was convinced by an eloquent preacher. I saw the risen Christ. And by seeing the risen Christ and having him pour into me revelation of truth, I'm as much an apostle as anyone else. And that's why he's different from most of us. Very few people in history have had the kind of experience the Apostle Paul has had. You know, many people have observed uh, just kind of a human nature. C.S. Lewis was one of them. That if you kind of think of like this, this arm just sort of being the, the separation between bad and good, there's this kind of idea that the deeper the devil, when that person's life is taken by Christ, he doesn't just go up and become a little bit better. It's like as deep as he was is as high as he goes. And Lewis said it the other way too, the higher the, higher the angel when they go bad, the deeper the devil they become. So he says that about Satan. Satan was a high angel when he turns against God. He doesn't just become a little bit bad. He goes, Broop. it's like that opposite. As high as he was is as low as he goes. And this is why I think sometimes some of you who grow up in church, it's, a hard, it's almost a hard thing to, to have if you've always been just kind of, you know, not that, not that bad. And when you come to know Christ, you feel like some of the people who grew up in church go, well, I, don't really, I don't really feel all that good. You know, I've always kind of had this in my life. And, it, and you shouldn't feel that way. Praise the Lord that you were not down in the muck. That you were not a murderer. That you were not someone that was persecuting the church like the Apostle Paul is. Thank God for that. But it's a different kind of challenge, right? But you see this passion from him because he goes from one extreme boom, to the next. And that's just part of what we do. Like, there's no one that's more passionately against drinking than a former alcoholic. You know, you get a former alcoholic whose life was being destroyed by alcohol, and you say, hey, 
you can have a beer or two, which I, I'm fine with personally. That former alcoholic will say, no, you cannot. And they'll like go after you sometimes because they're coming from their depth where it took them in this deep, depraved place. And now it's just, my pastor in, in, uh, in uh, college was this way. He was, a, he was a special forces, Green Beret, in Vietnam, not a believer, and an alcoholic. So that's a pretty brutal combination to the human soul. You're in the middle of the fight. You're, you're in the place where you have to kill people. You're highly trained. You're an alcoholic. He was in the depths of human depravity. And when he became a believer, he became very fiery for Christ. And Jesus turned the wine to grape juice. Because he could not believe that in any way his Christ that pulled him out of that muck would have anything to do with that substance which had destroyed his life and caused him to do horrible things. And you can understand, right? You can understand where he's coming from. You don't, you don't have to get all in the wild. Let's, let's talk about the reality of it or whatever. You can understand. And you just let that go. Say, man, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. Who cares what you believe about that? But he was passionate because he had been deep, deep, deep down in that hole. And so like most of you here, you know, I think we've all, though, the, uh, I said that, you know, you wouldn't be here if you had had the experience that Paul had. You wouldn't be here if you had the same kind of devotion he had. But also in the same sense, you wouldn't be here, most, most of you here, unless you're seeking, unless you're really in a place of trying to figure out what Christianity is about, which looking out here, most of you are believers. In the same sense, you wouldn't be here if you hadn't had an experience with God, right? I think almost all of us have a story we can tell where we had an experience with God. And not too many of us were knocked off our donkey, blinded. Not too many of us were murdering people, throwing them in jail for being Christians. You know, not too many of us have the story that Paul had. There are a few people in history, other than Paul, who lived this remarkable, Francis of Assisi is kind of an example, who lived this remarkable life. But they are set apart as kind of separate because they have this incredible experience. I've had, you know, my experiences with God led to me being a pastor. I didn't just one day decide I wanted to be a pastor. I was led to it by my experience with Christ, with God. But I'm no Apostle Paul. And I think that's okay. I think what we can take from his life, and as we go through the, the book of Galatians, we can take that his life is an inspired life of what it means to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Not just politely corrected by Jesus, but transformed by Jesus. He goes from one extreme to the other. He goes from being the caterpillar to his time in the, pup in the, in the chrysalis, which we don't know what that was about in Arabia, and he comes out, he's a different dude. And one of the things that he has to deal with, and we read it in Acts, and we read it, he talks about it in Galatians too, that the early church was afraid of him. They were afraid of him. He put so much fear into them that even after he became a believer, they're like, mm-mm. I, I just have a hard time believing this. That tells you what he must have been to that early church, that the people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ had a very hard time believing in the miracle that was Apostle Paul. And I, I think one of the things we can get from him, and as we read this letter, again, is this context of understanding who he is and his intensity. And the better we understand him, the better we're going to understand what he wrote. The better we understand what he wrote, the better we're going to understand the scriptures. The better we can understand the scriptures 
the more easily we can apply it to our own lives. And while none of us are like Paul, we should still strive to be transformed by Christ. I think one of the places where the church is kind of does a bit of a soft sell and it's not helpful to people is that they kind of teach you that Jesus wants to correct your life, but not transform your life. And that's not true. Jesus is not interested in correcting your life. It's like trying to imagine like, you know, a, like bread or something that's just rotten and moldy. And you say, well, if I put enough jam on that, then it's going to taste okay. That's what it means to try and correct a life that's already sinful. You can't really correct it. It has to be transformed. It has to be changed. And I think this becomes a place we can enter into this place with Paul. That's why he talks about things that being baptized as a believer is important to him because it is a place where you willingly, like Jesus willingly enters the world, like Paul willingly enters talking to the Gentiles, we willingly enter into this place where we die to self, are buried and raised again. It is this, it is the step of obedience, but the willingness behind it that leads to more transformation. And there's other ways he talks about that as well. Being transformed. The old is gone. The new has come. And I do look forward to the day when by the grace of God that's been extended to me and to many of us here by Christ, that I will also witness the resurrected Christ. And maybe at that time when I'm, when I'm resurrected myself and the, the corruption of sin no longer weighs on who I am mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Then I'll really begin to understand Paul a lot better. But until that day, we keep our eyes on Christ. Don't become satisfied with where you're at, but don't be discouraged with where you're at. Keep your eyes on Christ, allowing him to transform you into his image. And like the Apostle Paul, may we take that literally to be transformed into his image. And then we will be truly Christians, little Christs. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we go into this letter from the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, Lord, thank you for you know, how you transformed this life a life which radically impacted the world. I mean, some people, you know, you know, Lord, second to Jesus, some people say, the impact of human history. And Lord, we face a challenge of our own. We know, most of us at least know, we're not quite there. We're not willing just to set everything aside, everything, finances, personal safety, personal relationships and just go into the deepest, darkest places and preach the gospel without any kind of backup plan, without any kind of diplomatic immunity, without anything to get us out of trouble and just trust in you and take the beatings and rejoice in them. He's a different dude, but we thank you. Thank you for him. Thank you for the way you worked in his life. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to also want to be a transformed people, not just a politely corrected people, but transformed. And Lord, we are all on our different journeys as we get there. Some people have had more dramatic journeys than others, but at the end of the day, the goal is the same. We do want to be like you. 
But at the same time, we're like that guy who says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Lord, we want to be like you. But living like you, whew, that's tough. But may we take what we can, grow in it, and Lord, may you uh, challenge us in those places we need to be challenged, challenge our attitudes in the places they need to be challenged, so that we can be a people. When we stand before you, we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.